Morning. How are we all? Let me pray. Keep that Bible open there and we'll have a look at that as we go. Uh, dear God, thank you so much for uh, these words of yours and help us to think more about who Jesus is and what difference that makes. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, just a reminder, if you've got that slide open, that may be helpful. Does anyone need the number again? I'm just, I've realised that for the weeks going forward, I'll put the number in the bottom corner of each slide that I use. Um, so then you can ask a question anytime you want. Because I guess the point is, as we look at this um, course together, the, as we go through these next four weeks, the idea is to think about what, um, a, uh, what the heart of Christianity is all about. What's life with Jesus look like? And you may have been a Christian for 114 years. Not quite that long, but Jan almost. But, um, but a little while. And, um, and you may still have questions or things you'd like to talk about. So put a question up. We'll, we'll try and answer the most upvoted question each week. Does that make sense? Is that the plan, Ben? So after the talk, at some stage, straight after... I would answer it next week. The most upvoted question will answer next week. Okay. I'm happy to try live if you want to try that way as well. So we'll see how we go. There may not be any questions. We'll play that by ear. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so just feel free to ask. There's no dumb question. There, there could be. Brent was going to type into the Slido, um, what's the Bible reading? So that would classify as a dumb question. Sorry. But apart from that, there's no dumb questions because it was on the screen already. Um, Anyway, this is a, uh, an artist by the name of Jens or Jens Hanning, uh, produced a very popular artwork back in 2011. It is this, and it was called um, an annual, sorry, an average Danish annual income. And so what he's got is he's got the notes. I don't know if you can make that out there. The, the it's a pretty poor picture, Craig, but he's got um, currency like the notes, and he's put them on there, and that's the average income of a Danish person. And it's an artwork. It's a remake of this, which he also made, which is called An Average Austrian Annual Income, which is also his work. He, he branches out quite spectacularly, doesn't he? He's, he's got a lot of, um, a lot of uh, creativity in his work. Anyway, um, the Kunsten Museum of National Art back in 2021 actually commissioned him to produce um, similar works. They said, can you make something similar for us? And they gave him $84,000 in euros, but $84,000 Aussie. And he sent them this, and he titled it, Take the Money and Run. Isn't that a great title? All right. Um, now, he calls it not theft. That's what he says. It's not theft. I haven't just given them an empty photo frame and taken their cash, no. It's a commentary on poor wages. That's what he says. That's what he says. Their museum is not copying that. They have asked for their money back. They've actually they started a lawsuit in 2021, but as far as I can tell, they haven't got their cash back and the lawsuit went nowhere. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I don't know what you think about this artwork here because most likely there's going to be a few different opinions here. In one sense, it makes a point, doesn't it? And you know what? It's art. All right? How can you judge it? But in another sense, you can see the point of the museum, can't you? He titled the art, he titled the work, Take the Money and Run, for goodness sakes. All right? Um, and they even titled the artwork. When it comes to art, things are somewhat subjective, aren't they? It's a matter of preference. It's what you do like and what you don't like. If I asked you which you prefer, that one or this one, you, and you had to choose one, which would you choose? This one or that one? What do you prefer? I'll be honest, I prefer this one. What do you prefer? <laughs> that one made a point, I guess, in its time, but this one also makes a point, I suppose. Um, it can be difficult to determine absolute value when it comes to artwork, all right? Uh, artists can, can make things and you can say, you know what, the, the value of that object is somewhat relative to the buyer or, who, or the interest in it. For example, this sculpture, a wonderful sculpture of 
a balloon dog. Now, I'm not very talented when it comes to making balloons, but I can make a balloon dog. Can anyone else make a balloon dog? A few of us in here can. All right. Well, good news for you, because this particular sculpture by, let me get his name right here, Jeff Coons, or you know it. No, it's not made out of balloons. No, I'll, I'll pay that. However, it, it replicates a balloon. He sold it for $58.4 million. 58 point, not bad going if you can get it. Now, I appreciate that it will have taken him some time to make it, but why on earth anyone wanted a balloon dog is beyond me. I'm happy to tie you up one later to save you $58 million, or perhaps sell you one for just a tenth of the price, $5.8 million. Any, any takers? No, there's some competition. There's a few of us here who can do it, so the price might keep coming down. Um, subjective value. This is Onement V by Barnett Newman. Someone knows this one? You know this one, Jan? You've seen this one. This got auctioned off and, uh, well, I don't have to say anything because it's on the slide there. $43.8 million for two pieces of blue cloth. Again, not bad going if you can get it. Now, I don't think that works for me. That, does that artwork work for anyone? If you have to choose this one or this one, which is your preference? This one or this one? To be honest, since I've been looking at these, and originally I liked this one because of the, at least the guy put some effort in rather than hanging two tails up. But the more I've looked at them, I'm like, actually, there's something to this one. And I could, I could picture myself, I couldn't picture myself buying it because it's $43.8 million, right? But if, if I happened to stumble across one exactly the same, it'd be like, yeah, it's calming. You know, you, you've got that sort of um, herbal music playing in the background and you look at it. But with art, it comes down to preference, doesn't it? It comes down to your preference and taste. Now, we're, take, we're looking at this, um, this little series, four weeks, looking at who Jesus is. And I want to just put the question out there. Is Jesus like art? Is he someone to be appreciated if he's to your taste? And uh, if he is, is that all he is? And then do you choose someone else if you don't like the Jesus style? Do you choose the Buddha style or the whatever? Or is there something more universal about who Jesus is? Do his claims have a slightly more universal application? Because we've got to think about um, who Jesus is. He claims uh, to talk about truth um, and he claims to have truth for us. And our world's not real good with truth. And so we think, well, maybe Jesus' truth is just some kind of truth. Uh, we showed this clip last year at church, but we're going to show it again. If I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, why? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say... Good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh... I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you, no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now if that's where you feel like mentally you should be then i feel like there are communities that would accept you for that 
I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. You're like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. I find that very disturbing every time I watch it. It's funny, but it's 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 um it is terrifying because that's the university campus and that's the next thinkers of our age, isn't it? Um, and they have no clue. They're, they're not willing to say that something is right or wrong. There's no absolutes. Disturbing, because. People um, are just adamant to allow this reason to exist for something that seems fairly unreasonable. It's paradoxically unreasonable. Instead of, they're trying, actually it's quite ironic too, because they're trying to say, essentially there's no absolute truth out there and you can be who you want to be. But in order to make that statement, that becomes an absolute truth, doesn't it? Um, And so it's just, it's it's a disturbing clip and it makes us question what is going on in life um, but then it makes us think about Jesus. Is he like that? Are his claims like that? Now, maybe we've had questions about life in the past and we've thought, you know, what am I actually doing here? Um, how should I live my life? Where am I going to end up? Who even am I? Uh, these are questions that we want to think about. And I don't know when you've picked up on those kind of questions. Um, maybe you've been um, looking at the stars one night and suddenly realizing they're quite far flung. I have no idea how they all got there. Or maybe you have some certainty about that, but you still have questions about hardship in your life. Where's that come from? What's going on? And when we face difficulties, when we um, are struck by big questions, we are either left to our own understanding and all the resources in ourself, or we can actually say, well, how do we find answers? Is the answer to the questions I have in life, are the answers the ones I prefer, the ones I like best, my preference, like an artwork? Are they the ones that make most sense to me or are most palatable? Or is it what other people think is most popular? Is it possible that there are true answers? Is it possible that truth doesn't bend to my preferences and my feelings? Now, um, some footage of Alastair yesterday at his house. Here, uh, if you fall off the roof of your house, okay, has anyone actually had that? Terrible experience, don't put your hand up, that, that would hurt a lot. But if you step off the roof of your house, let's say, instead of falling off accident, if you step off intentionally, it doesn't matter at what stage in history you do this, does it? It, it doesn't matter what your cultural background is. It, it doesn't matter what you believe or even how hard you believe it. It doesn't matter how sincerely you think you're going to float. You will go down, won't you? All right. If I'm to throw this very light piece of card out there now, what's going to happen to it, do you think? It'll eventually land. Is that what you think? Who thinks Brent's right? 
If I want to believe that, that's right. Yeah. Who thinks it won't land? Anyone? We all know it's going to land, don't we? There, it landed. And it was a quite weak throw, if I'm honest. Um, we, uh, we, we know that this is not true, don't we? We've all seen the Roadrunner, or have we all seen the Roadrunner? I've seen the Roadrunner. I grew up watching this. I loved it. And time after time after time, poor old Wally Cody ends up going off the edge of a cliff and he's okay until what? Until he looks down and then he realises that he can't float and then gravity kicks in. But um, who was it that invented gravity again? Yeah, it was God. That's right. That's, uh, I was trying to trick you and make you say Isaac Newton by putting a picture up there of the event. Um, Isaac Newton didn't invent gravity, did he? He's the one who put pen to paper to explain it. He's, he discovered it, in a sense, or, or put the thought into a coherent fashion for us. Before Newton, um, there weren't people walking around, sort of like, just got to make sure I stay down here, because I'm not sure if I'll float off this earth. It wasn't like Newton came along and wrote this down. People were like, oh, thank goodness, I can take the gravity boots off finally. Everyone knew. You don't float away, do you? We all knew it, okay? Imagine you go to the doctor tomorrow, and uh, you're in the waiting room. And your stomach has been hurting for days. You've had a, a, a headache that is throbbing worse than any you've ever had before. You feel very wrong, but you don't have any clue what it is. And even Dr. Google can't help you. You go to your doctor and you say, I'd like to see the doctor, please. I'm just really sick. And they say, I'm really sorry. Your regular doctor's away. But we have two options for you here today. You can see the other doctor who works here. And they'll try and figure out your symptoms in the regular way. Or you can see the new doctor, Dr. True for you. And you can say to Dr. True for you what your symptoms are. And they can ask you, they'll ask you what you would like to be wrong with you. And they'll write that down as a diagnosis. Which doctor are you going to choose? Who would choose Dr. True for you? Would any of you? It would be obscene, wouldn't it? Although, thanks to, uh, thanks to um, the aforementioned... Oh, no. Shane, I think I just exited the slideshow. Sorry. Oh, no, I didn't. I'm okay. Thanks to this bloke, as I mentioned before. I think Dr. True for you gets a bit of a, a, bit of a workout in the world. But, but we all want truth. But the problem is sometimes when we find out what the truth is, it scares us. We don't necessarily want to hear from the doctor because the doctor might say something and tell us there's something drastically wrong. We want truth deep down. We all want the truth, don't we? Don't we? Don't we? Yes, we all do. But, much like Tom Cruise in this movie, spoiler alert, when we find the truth, we don't like it. It can be scary. It can be terrifying. Now, we had a Bible reading from Mark chapter 4. And what happens in this reading is that Jesus' followers get a taste of the truth. And when they see the truth, it terrifies them. Go your Bible open, have a look at the story. We can touch on it fairly briefly, but it's important. Verse 35, they're going to cross over the lake, all right? And 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. So they're crossing across the lake from one side to the other. Fairly simple. These are fishermen. This is what they do, okay? They do this for a living. They go out there. They've been in storms. Um, what we see next is not some overreaction to a particular scenario. It's not that they freak out. They've never walked off dry land before. No, they know what they're doing, and they're terrified in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. When the boat fills, what happens? You sink. And then when you sink, what happens? You die, okay? And Jesus is asleep in verse 38. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Doesn't Jesus even care? I mean, I, I, I don't know if that would have, would have been my question. What would your question have been to Jesus there? 
You're like, the boat's going down, it's sinking, and you're like, how can you be asleep at a time like this? Isn't that what you'd say? That's what I'd say. But no, don't you care that we're dying? Okay? And Jesus' answer shows that he does care, in a sense. He says to them, why are you so afraid? So afraid of what exactly? Dying. Why are you so afraid of dying? And then he mocks their faith. Well, he doesn't mock their faith. He slights it, doesn't he? Have you still no faith? There's a big storm. There's huge danger. Save us, Lord. We're perishing. He doesn't address their fears necessarily, but he questions them back. Why are you afraid of death? What we read it as, uh, I think, unhelpfully perhaps, is that um, why are they scared? They've got Jesus in the boat. He'll take care of everything. But we're missing the point a little bit there, aren't we? Jesus is actually asking them, it's a good question, at the start of Mark's Gospel, why are they scared of death? Why are they scared of perishing? And the answer is, because they have such little faith. Now, that's a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Because Jesus comes into this world to solve the problem of death. It's a fairly significant problem. You can say whatever is true for you that you want, but here's one thing that's fact, you will die, okay? That's not a threat, by the way. It's a statement of fact. We all die. Every human being ever has died. I'm not going to say except one. All right. Jesus died, but he rose again. He comes into this world to live a life we can't live, to die and rise again so that we can have new life, life beyond death, after death, rise again ourselves. Now, we're going to look a bit more at that in the coming weeks, Um, but he's not coming to solve the problem of big storms. He's not coming to solve the the problems in our broken world, necessarily our, our lives, our uh, the things we're frustrated with, um, the problems we face that we think are so significant, the financial security we wish we had that we don't have, the political landscape that frustrates us all to pieces. He didn't come to fix that, did he? Our health issues, whatever other issues we might have, those aren't what Jesus came to fix. Now, he can fix those. In fact, he calms a storm with a word. He can fix those with a word. But the truth is, he's not just some heroic character. He is one with genuine authority true authority and when they see what is true about jesus they're astounded who is this even the wind and the waves even the wind and the sea obey him now if it's true that they obey him if what jesus said was stop and they stopped then he is someone that we need to do something with that is information that we need to process anyone know what movie this is from the Greatest Showman, um, anyone seen it? Quite a few. It, the story of the movie, without being a spoiler, I hope, is that there's a bunch of characters who are kind of on the margins of society and they're gathered together by a little boy who wasn't much to begin with. But in the end, or, or in the, as the movie goes along, they become the greatest show. All right? They're all marvels in their own right. That little boy grows up, all his dreams come true, and, um, well, it all ends very well for him, I suppose. I did spoil the movie, sorry. Um, but as, these, um, these, as much as these overlooked characters... Um, are overlooked in the beginning, by the end of the movie, they're actually um, celebrated and they're heroes. And you can see, that I think this is from near the end somewhere, um, and they're all happy and they're all, everything's great, the show's going on. But for all that, they are still anomalies, aren't they? Because if you went to see The Greatest Show, what would you be going to see? You're going to see a novelty, a spectacle, something that's not usual, a man who's too tall, a bearded lady, a gifted trapeze artist, whatever it might be. All right? And if you come to the greatest show and the bearded lady doesn't have a beard and the too tall man is yay big 
and the trapeze artist is scared of heights so badly they won't even go up. You're not all that happy, are you? Because your expectation was to see the show. Now, we have expectations in life. We look around the world, we have questions, big questions, expectations about what might happen, and we ask those questions. Why am I here? How should I live? What should I do? Where is my life going? Who even am I? And the best answers that our world provides uh, are actually fairly disappointing. And we end up with a bearded man, a bearded woman with no beard. Or a tall man who's quite short. A trapeze artist who doesn't even begin the routine. These are, this is what our, our world tells us. Well, why are you here? We're not sure. Truth is what you make of it. So make the most of it that you can. And then we look and we go, well, if truth is what I make of it, how come every time that goes down? Well, that's a better throw, but it still went down. We know the winds are going to blow, the seas are going to roar. There's nothing that anyone can do about it. We can't stop those until Jesus says, stop, and they obey. And then he says, why are you so afraid of death in this pitifully short life that you have? Why are you scared of death? And the answer is, because we don't have faith. And the claim that Jesus makes is that he can give us assurance beyond the grave. He says, have faith in me. I can do what you can't do. And I can give you evidence of that by stopping the sea and the storm. His first followers see it and they're terrified. Who is this? We've got to do something with this information. Now, I don't know where you're at with, um, with the, the God question, but really we look at what Jesus does and we too have to do something with that information, don't we? If you're cut off from the life-giving God, get connected. That's what I would say, because you will never ever find something else to, to fill the gap. Okay? Um, you'll, you'll be like a, a flower that's been pruned from the garden and put in a vase and it'll last a bit longer, but it's dead already, isn't it? It will die and we're all going to die. We're going to do something with who Jesus is. Um, this is uh, C.S. Lewis. You may have um, heard of him, uh, a reasonably prolific author a number of years ago. And he says this, he says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And see, truth matters, doesn't it? Now, I don't know, C.S. Lewis was, is long, long dead, but if he saw that video that we saw earlier, what would he say? These people think they're poached eggs. That's what he would say about them. But truth does matter. It matters in physics. We know that, right? Things go down. You fall off the roof, you don't float. No one's jumping off the roof. It matters in medicine. We don't want to hear from Dr. Google telling us, well, Dr. Google will actually try and diagnose. We don't want to hear from the doctor who says, you can be as sick as you want to be. We don't want to hear that. We can't function as a society unless there is truth. Unless the stop signs are actually accurate. You know, give way. Well, that's got to mean something, doesn't it? Our court system is based around the need for truth. Our relationships don't work unless they're based on truth. And Jesus says the truth about life is found in him. And he is the one who can stop the wind and the waves. So who is this Jesus and what are we going to do with him? Center your life around him because that's the way to find pleasure and happiness and meaning in life. And how he gives us that, we're going to keep looking at that over the next couple of weeks. But uh, the hint we get is in the question to Jesus, why are you so afraid of dying? It's a wonderful paradox, isn't it? Just honesty question time. Who is afraid of death? I am. Aren't you? But I'm not afraid of death because 
of what comes next. I'm afraid of death for the pain I'm going to go through in it. I actually, I'm not afraid of death and the dying part, all right? It's just the process of going through it. It's an amazing paradox. Why are you so afraid of death? I think if you went and asked someone that in the street, they would think you a lunatic. But the faith, faith in Jesus' death is actually the key to our life. And he, he makes massive claims that deal with life and death issues. He is far too significant to dismiss. So if, uh, if you're looking at Jesus, you look at what he says, it's important information. It's information that requires a response. The first followers saw it, they were terrified. But they did something with that. We've got to see it. If he's telling the truth, well, he is something. If he's not telling the truth, he's an evil man. But if he is, it changes everything. Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you that you actually like to hear from us. Thank you for Jesus, who even the wind and the sea obey. Help us to be those who obey and to learn what that looks like in our lives. Help us answer the big questions by first resolving who Jesus is. And we pray this in his name. Amen.